Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I am live and national. For those stations that take us live, and we are monitoring the situation in Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, near Temple University Hospital. I'm quite familiar with this area, having gone to Temple University and Temple University Law School. Uh, there's an active shooter situation. Uh, it started out apparently as a call about narcotics, but there have been scores of rounds of bullets fired. There must be scores of uh, police cars there. Uh, also, the feds are on the scene. Five officers have been shot. None is in a life-threatening situation. One officer was in an accident speeding to the area, not in a life-threatening situation. Three civilians injured, and the shooter is still holed up. They're apparently, based on reports, two police officers still in the building with uh one or two or so or so individuals in handcuffs, they believe, but they can't get out. And the whole area is cordoned off, as you can imagine, several streets. So we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. Now we'll see if the media will tone down their attacks on cops and the left. We have these mass shootings, and of course, here we are in gun control. Now, I, I, I want to tell you folks something. I've been thinking about <clears throat> where we are headed here. And in many ways, we're not headed in a good place. The Republicans and the Democrats in the White House are working aggressively on gun control. I don't know what they're going to come up with. But uh, this is very troubling to me. The uh, people in Hong Kong are waving the American flag, they're singing the American National Anthem. They're getting no support from the United States. I don't even hear any verbal support from the United States. No, we're not going to have a war with China. That's not the point. But the point is, it used to be American policy that we stood with freedom fighters. These people in Hong Kong are enormously brave. And if China sees that they can just roll over these people, that it's treated as, quote-unquote, an internal matter, what next, Taiwan? I'm concerned that when it comes to our foreign policy, a lot of you are going to get very angry with me, that they're seeing weakness now. They're seeing Kim Jong-un fire off missiles without effect, without retribution, I should say. Uh, they see... Uh, our hesitance, our reluctance to openly embrace 
the people of Hong Kong who simply want to live in freedom. That was the deal that was made. China's breaking the deal. There are at least five other things that we can be doing to Iran economically to smother that Islamo-Nazi regime that is moving with great speed to put nuclear weapons on top of their ICBMs, and we refuse to do it. Again, I'm not even talking about shooting a bullet. So I'm getting very concerned about this. And what happens is our enemies perceive us as weak. As all talk. And this could become provocative. It could become a huge problem. So I'm very worried about this. On the economic front, I've told many of you many times over the last decade and a half that tariffs are not good economic policy. Tariffs against China, I'm all for it because we're using them for national security policy. And if we have to duke it out with China, toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, so be it. And it'll hurt their economy more than ours. But duking it out with Canada and Mexico and South Korea and Europe and all is a bad idea. Now, the President of the United States has pulled back on tariffs on certain products. iPhones, electronics, things of that sort for Christmas. But if it's true that the American consumer doesn't pay tariffs in the form of a huge tax, 25% tariff is a tax on the American consumer, and if China's paying it, then why would you care? Because the answer is a tariff is a tax. The money goes into the federal treasury, leaves your pocket. That's what happens. Certain industries benefit. Many industries are harmed. Certain parts of the country benefit. Many parts of the country are harmed. If you want to really take on China, you pull together our allies and you focus on punishing China economically. Again, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that because China's the enemy. You don't just trade with China like it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. But punishing our allies... That's never made sense to me. And this, this imbalance of trade, we call it, has never made sense to me either. And I've explained this to you many times. I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say we buy more from Saudi Arabia than Saudi Arabia buys from us. Let's say we do that. Well, should we make sh- insist that our businesses and individuals buy the same amount from Saudi Arabia that Saudi Arabia buys from us? What if we want Saudi oil and natural gas? I'm just giving an example. Maybe it's an old example, but it proves the point. In other words, the reason we're importing things from these other countries is not only because we want them, but in some cases we need them. And it can't be dollar for dollar. That doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. China's a different story, as I continue to point out and stress and underscore. But our allies, really? And so you're paying the price for this, and I'm very concerned about it. And I told you last year I was very concerned about this with the election coming up. It takes a while, perhaps a year, for policies to kick in 
And I want nothing more than this president to win re-election against these nutjobs. But I'm not there advising him. I think caving on gun control, despite how they try and characterize it, is a terrible, terrible idea. Doesn't work, number one, but it's a terrible idea. I think one, one of the problems we have here is the absolute inability of elected Republicans and even conservative slash Republicans on television and radio to discuss free market capitalism. In fact, some of them trash it now. We're all populists now. We're all nationalists now. No, I'm not. I'm a constitutional conservative. We seem to have difficulty explaining capitalism. Why is that? The left doesn't have any problem discussing socialism. They may not label it socialism, but they're proud about redistribution of wealth, taking your wealth, giving it to somebody else, more government pro- They're very, very uh, articulate in their tyranny. Tell me, who's articulate about liberty? Name one person who in a couple sentences can explain what's taking place. They talk about the economy, unequal results. And I'm thinking to myself, not only does centralized government create unequal results, but we wouldn't have the vast majority of things that we have in this country. Some crucially important to our lives, some not. But for free market capitalism. There'd be nothing to redistribute. They talk about the government taking over health care. But the government doesn't create health care. It doesn't create the technologies. It doesn't create the buildings. It doesn't create anything. Government's going to take over health care. But who created everything that goes into that bucket? The private sector did. You know, some time ago, the History Channel is a hell of a channel. Some time ago, I watched this miniseries called The Men Who Built America. How we got electricity, steel, oil, automobiles, and so forth. And the last three nights, I've been watching a show on the History Channel called The Food That Built America. Now, these men are trashed. All of them are trashed. Rockefeller, Mellon, Carnegie, Ford. These men that built America through food and not just demand. Post also. Marjorie Post. Now we attack what we call processed foods, right? We attack processed foods. Cereal. Bird's eye frozen food. We attack chocolate is unhealthy. Coca-Cola is unhealthy. And what this three-part series, three-night series, mini-series showed was the American people were moving in huge numbers into the cities. They were running out of food. They didn't have refrigerators and freezers. They had block ice, but block ice wasn't all that good. And so they were eating rancid meat, rancid chicken, Fish with flies and gnats all over them. The occurrence of stomach cancer at the turn of the last century and into the 1920s was far higher than it is today. 
these men were looking for ways to, yes, process food where they could get food to the masses. And they were followed by Colonel Sanders, the McDonald's brothers and Ray Kroc, Taco Bell, Burger King, so forth and so on. And so what do we do today? We trash these products. We trash these men. That's what we do. These men who fed America. Milton Hershey. The Mars family. We trash them. We trash successful people. Listen to the Democrat debates. Listen to the Democrat debates. Attacking wealth. Attacking success. Attacking corporations. Well, if we didn't allow the creation of wealth and success and corporations, we'd be a disastrous country. And nobody articulates it. We're in an anti-industrial, de-industrial revolution now. Where we're told we use too much, we eat too much, we're polluting the planet, the climate's being changed because of us. A degrowth movement, an anti-industrial revolution movement. We feed ourselves, we feed the world. We have lights whenever we want them. We have water whenever we want it. We have everything whenever we want it. Beer, wine, meats, all very, very well cared for. So they're not rancid. And so forth. Somehow we must get back to explaining this to our fellow citizens. Because they're not going to get it in the media. They're not going to get it from the Democrat Party. They're not going to get it from the Republican Party. The Republican Party, I'm going to predict in 50 years it won't exist. It has no purpose. It has a minor purpose to try and stop the Democrats. That's not a great party. That's not the grand old party. It was a party that was against slavery. It was a party that was against segregation. It was a party that was for the Industrial Revolution. What is it now? Gun control light. Open borders light. I want to salute the History Channel for what it's done. And I try and do that here every single day to talk about the merits of liberty, to talk about the merits of our founding. Collectivism, socialism, Marxism, call it whatever you want this ism. It's deadly. We'll starve to death. We'll go without health care. They can paint all the pictures they want. Look at the people, the propagandists and the demagogues who are promoting it. They haven't created a damn thing. They haven't hired a damn person. And yet this is what they keep pushing. And now they've discovered this issue of climate change. They've hit pay dirt. And they've gone all out. You see, it's non-controversial. It's safe. It's public-spirited. And the media are all behind them. If we don't hurry up, and destroy capitalism, and we don't hurry up and destroy success, we don't hurry up and surrender more and more of our liberty and our property to the federal government, we're doomed, don't you know? When we come back, I want to circle back on Hong Kong. I'm finding it to be a disgrace that our country, that our country doesn't even speak out in defense of these people who may be crushed It is not an internal matter for China. The only way China was able to 
quote-unquote, reacquire that island was in a deal 22 years ago with Margaret Thatcher. And they're breaking the deal. And when we don't forcefully speak out, they see weakness. And weakness gets provocation. This is appalling to me. When Obama didn't speak out for the men and women who were rising up against the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, we were furious. And we spoke out against it. I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Democrats, some of them are attacking the press for their press coverage. Don't be fooled by this. That's a reaction to unfreedom of the press, I can assure you. They're trying to counterweight it. Uh, Unfreedom of the press was just announced, was nominated as a finalist for one of the digital books of the year. And it was also just announced that it is on the New York Times bestseller list three months in a row. Now, it's number 99 right now on Amazon.com in the top 100. When it falls out of the top 100, the discount is reduced. So if you're thinking about getting it, it's number 99 right now. Now's the time. What are the Democrats doing? The Democrats are embracing effectively Marxism. Now, I know the media gets all worked up and the Democrat. I'm not talking about pure Marxism, but a Marxist intellect. That's what, they're, that's what they've ad- adopted. It's a pseudo-scientific economic determinism. Can't have free markets and so forth. Well, what bothers me more is the inability of all these people who go on TV, all these people who have radio shows, not all but most, to explain liberty, to explain commerce, to explain our history. I'll be right back. You know, our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions, locked in the grip of political correctness. They no longer allow free and open discourse, rejecting the idea of objective truth. They peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. 
Now, as Hillsdale celebrates its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. And let me add, I think so much of Hillsdale College. I donated an original copy of a compilation of the Federalist Papers, which sit today as I speak at the Kirby Center. Hillsdale College, America's College. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. It's gotten so bad, we actually have people in the media who've been in the media a long time claiming they talk about conservatism, and they don't even do that anymore. It's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Tell me, the Democrat Party, is there a single unalienable right they stand for? I'm not talking about abortion. That's not an unalienable right. I'm not talking about a government program. That's not an unalienable right. We're talking about human rights. No. You know, Ian Rand, in a book called Return of the Primitive, I've talked to you about this before, the anti-industrial revolution. She wrote, instead of their old promises that collectivism would create universal abundance and their denunciations of capitalism for creating poverty, they're now denouncing capitalism for creating abundance. Instead of promising comfort and security for everyone, they're now denouncing people for being comfortable and secure. Some 40 years ago, Franklin Roosevelt exhorted this country to sacrifice for the sake of an underprivileged one-third of a nation. Fifteen years later, the sacrifice was stretched to include the underprivileged of the whole globe. Today, you're asked to sacrifice for the sake of seaweeds in inanimate matter. Since the enormous weight of controls created by the welfare state theorists has hampered and burdened and corrupted but not yet destroyed American industry. The collectivists have found an ecology, a new excuse for the creation of more controls, more corruption, more favor peddling, more harassment of industry by more irresponsible pressure groups. It's true, isn't it? The industrialists, meaning the corporations, as usual, will be the last to protest in a mixed economy. The industrialists will swallow anything and apologize for anything. They're abject crawling and and climbing on the environmental bandwagon is consistent with their policy over many decades. Inculcated by pragmatism, they would rather make a deal with a few more bureaucrats and stand up face the issue in terms of philosophical and moral principles this is my fear about what's going on now this is my fear as to the politicians they've discovered that the issue of pollution 
is a great issue. And they've gone all out for it. They see it as a common good, which can mean anything to anyone. The Green New Deal. Climate change. Just see enormous power. Enormous power. To the government. The deeper significance of the ecological crusade, she writes, lies in the fact that it does expose a profound threat to mankind, though not in the sense of its leaders allege. It exposes the ultimate motive of collectivists, the naked essence of hatred for achievement, which means hatred for reason, for man, for life. I'll tell you what she's talking about. When you watch, as I said, this History Channel, these, uh, these short series, these men who developed these systems were absolute geniuses. But they were common men. Some of them were born into abject poverty. Some of them went bankrupt. But they tried again and again. And so they used their brains to try and figure out how to innovate, how to create, how to get past these obstacles. How to get up after falling down. How to raise the funds that are necessary. How to do all these things. None of this is ever discussed. It's just a look at these rich people. We should have a wealth tax under this tax. We talk like the left. We talk like the progressives. We don't talk like Americans anymore. We don't talk like Americans anymore. Where do you think all this stuff comes from that they want to redistribute? And, of course, their argument is it's not fair. Everybody doesn't have the same thing. Some people are super wealthy. It's just not fair. But none of these things, certainly the vast majority of these things, wouldn't even exist if it was all controlled by the government. And yet, we have a better uh, living situation in this country for even the poorest among us than in any country on the face of the earth. Any country on the face of the earth. What countries debate giving welfare benefits to illegal aliens? We're the only one. We're the only one. We're going to lose everything if we don't cut this out. We're going to lose everything. The inability of so-called conservative and Republican politicians and so-called conservative and Republican radio hosts and TV hosts to embrace and articulate old-style liberty, old-style progress, not progressivism, progress, is shameful. When you have a microphone or a TV camera in your face, you damn well make sure you're capable of communicating these things. If you want to be an entertainer, Go to Las Vegas. Go to Las Vegas. I mean, you could be compelling without being a clown. But we're not using our microphones. We're not using our cameras to defend liberty, to explain capitalism, our Constitution, our Declaration, which is what I do on my Sunday show on Levin TV, and I try to do here and in the books. We need more megaphones out there. Can't rely on the Republican Party. Who's going to do it? Kevin McCarthy? Mitch McConnell? 
They're so caught up in the weeds of Washington, D.C. But I must confess a disappointment. And I don't say this to harm, undermine, or sabotage anybody. I have a very deep affection for this president. I see what he's up against. Nobody defends him more than I right here and on Fox and elsewhere. They're out to destroy him. But these policies of massive spending and debt have now a push for gun control so the campaign team can claim, look at this, look what we did on guns. Two trillion dollars they want for infrastructure, Family Leave Act. They want in on that. I'm not buying it. And even worse, we must be a beacon for freedom in this country, ladies and gentlemen. We always have been. Again, some of you, for some reason, believe that means going to war all the time. I don't know where you get this from. Maybe some of the code pink Republicans on TV and radio. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about a full-out war against China except China. But we need to stand with people who are being oppressed, who used to stand with us. If we don't stand with the people of Hong Kong, why stand with the people of Taiwan? If we don't stand with the people of Taiwan, why stand with the people of South Korea? At least we should speak out in their defense. And I want to repeat and underscore, when the people of Iran were rising up, and Obama did nothing for 10 days, we all condemned him, and rightly so. We denounced him, and we should have. I have to say, Reagan stood with the freedom fighters all over the world, whether they were in Angola, Nicaragua, Grenada, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, wherever, because he understood that to do otherwise is to give aid and comfort to our enemies. Got to be smart about how you do it. But in this case, silence is not golden. Silence is a green light, in my opinion. And I'm very, very worried about it. We don't stand up for capitalism. You know, we have Nancy Pelosi going on and on, screaming at the top of her lungs about gun control. Who here thinks that San Francisco is a well-run city? With the human feces all over the place, and the needles all over the place, and the illegal aliens under Sanctuary City all over the place. And now she's going to tell us about the Second Amendment. You understand the Bill of Rights belong to you. They're not up for negotiation. They're not up for negotiation. Well, who needs it? Who cares what they say? Who needs five weapons? I do. Who needs five newspapers? I do. Who needs anything? We do. Now, the reason why 90% of the people support background checks is because a significant percentage of the people who don't own guns don't understand you have to have a background check. Well, Mark, there's the gun show loophole. Who cares? It's less than 1% of the sales and not one gold uh, uh, gun sold in the Gun show loophole has ever been used in a mass murder. Not one. 
So they're going to do away with that. Wow. That'll fix everything. We're going to raise the age to 21. Wow. These two guys were 21 and older. Telling you. We need a red flag law. You know, isn't that funny? Ten years ago, you never heard of a red flag law. Now it's the end all and be all. What is it? We're going to throw a red flag. And what are you going to do? If people are acting funny or acting weird or if they seem to be a problem or so forth and so on, we're going to stop them from getting weapons or take their weapons away from them. Then they'll have their day in court. And I see friends of mine writing, say, well, it's perfectly uh, constitutional under the due process. They don't know what they're talking about. Really? Who says? Well, the Supreme Court, who cares? Is that what due process has been about in this country? Can you imagine the founders of this country saying, yeah, that's what we meant. That's what we meant. Now, if the states want to do it, the states can do it. But we're going to do it at the federal level? You've got massive slaughter going on in cities like Chicago and Baltimore. They have the strictest gun control laws. And they say, well, that's because in these cities they can get guns from outside the cities. No, that's not why. Because you have hoodlums. you got gang members who are fighting over turf, fighting over drugs, fighting over women. Who the hell knows what they're fighting over? This would be the same Democrats, the same media, who don't want us to secure the border. How the hell are we going to prevent weapons from getting in here if we can't prevent people from getting in here? Well, you're not. But then you'll look over your shoulder after they pass all these laws. And you go, Wait a minute, where's my gun? Well, you had enough. Now, by the way, in order for a politician to say you have enough guns and enough ammo, what do they need to know, Mr. Producer? What guns you have and how much ammo you have. Otherwise, how do they know you have too much? Quote, unquote. And so how are they going to get that information? They're going to force it out of you. Maybe they'll have the IRS do it, like the IRS handles Obamacare. We're headed down a very dangerous road here, as I said to you last night. We don't know what this country is going to look like in 50, 100, 150 years or 200 years. The people of Germany didn't. The people of Cuba didn't. The people of, you name the state, the country, Venezuela, they didn't. And they're all disarmed. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course. Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. 
The question, the fundamental question is, is the government going to drag our country down? Are we going to be able to break loose and bring our country up? Look at what the debate is. Debates over liberty, and we're losing this debate. Trump's not going to be president forever, you know. We're losing this debate because we don't engage in it. We don't engage in the debate. Who's debating liberty on any of these programs? Who's explaining it to young people in this country? Nobody. Nobody. Now, I'm concerned. I see rising anti-Semitism. I see it being uh, uh, tolerated by the Democrat Party and the media. I see rising race baiting as the country becomes increasingly diverse through open borders. I see no respect for private property rights. Talk about wealth taxes and so forth, which are clearly unconstitutional. I see attacks on the engine of capitalism. Anyone who's successful and wealthy. We have a completely different mindset. And no, that's not progress, ladies and gentlemen. That is, that is a throwback. That is a throwback. And at the same time, they attack the Second Amendment. They're destroying the First Amendment and freedom of the press, as I've written and explained extensively. And they act like the Second Amendment is just some regulation. The Second Amendment's not a regulation. It's the Second Amendment to the Constitution. And then we talk about the red flag thing. Well, of course it's constitutional. You know, the Supreme Court and Ernie Grabowski versus Sally Jones. I don't care. I know why there's a Second Amendment. I can even tell you which state supported it and suggested it before they would even ratify the Constitution. I know exactly what they were thinking. None of these experts do. And then they're just, well, that's white supremacists, slaves. Why do we care what they think? They always have an answer, not a good one. Our guys sit there with a thumb in their nose. Yes. Old Lindsay. Yes, we need a red flag. We need full background checks. I don't know what the hell that means. You're in the FBI database. Not good enough? No, we need full background checks. For what? Like the, like the mentally ill or the evil are going to... You know what? I want to submit to the uh, background check when I go to the uh, gun shop here, uh, Frank. Yes. I understand I'm limited to seven bullets as well. Oh, okay. I'm only allowed to buy one gun a month, you know. Oh, okay. That's right. So, uh, so we got to follow those rules. But I want to slaughter 20 people. Now, does that make sense to anybody? All right. A lot more when I return. And I shall return. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America, from sea to shining sea. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877 877-381-381. 3811, eight and a half million people on terrestrial radio, millions on satellite radio, millions on podcast. God knows how many really are listening all over the world. I want to thank you. President of the United States just tweeted out, this is why I really, really appreciate this man. 
I know President Xi of China very well. He's a great leader. Very much has the respect of his people, he says. He's also a good man in a tough business. I think what he means there is it's tough in China. It's, it's, uh, it's live or die. I have zero doubt President Xi wants to quickly and humanely solve the Hong Kong problem. He can do it. And this is the key. Personal meeting, question mark? I want to thank the president for this because I believe this is important. I want to thank the staff members who ran into him with my comments, apparently. But that's all right. I don't care. If the president can do some good in this regard, that's a wonderful thing. See, this is the difference between Trump and every Democrat who wants to be president. He loves the country, and he tries to do the right thing. That's different than on the left, which is ideologically driven come hell or high water. Something doesn't work, they continue to expand it and fund it. Doesn't matter, they're leftists. And if they love the country, they have a funny way of showing it, don't they? They have a funny way of showing it. So that's a good thing what the president just tweeted out as far as I'm concerned. Very much so. Now Don Lemon may be in a bit of a pickle, you might say. He's been sued. He's been sued for assault. I'm not going to read the article because if it's true, it's really quite disgusting. Don, you're not that disgusting, are you? Yeah, you're pretty disgusting. And um, I want you to listen to what Don Lemon had. This is a newsman, folks. This is a newsman who gets no ratings, so somebody wants him to stay on there and peddle his crap. Cut to go. The president claims Republicans support him on strengthening background checks. But there is no evidence of any kind of aggressive arm-twisting campaign by the president to get a specific piece of legislation. But here's what he is now doing. Let's, 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 let's stop. Let me help Don, <coughs> Donnie Lemon here. Donnie, legislation rhymes with legislature, right? Legislature. Who are the legislators? Now, they're apparently working on some kind of legislation. And I just read in Politico that none other than Susan Collins is in the middle of it. That scares the hell out of me. Because she doesn't give a damn about the Bill of Rights. She's with that Catherine Hepburn voice of hers. Well, Mark, she voted for Kavanaugh. Big deal. She should have anyway. But she's in the middle of it. That should scare the hell out of you. Anyway, go back to this clown. Go ahead. Pushing an immigration policy that would make the Statue of Liberty hang her head in shame. Oh, really, pal? Really? Requiring people who come here, even legally, not to be on the public dole, the Statue of Liberty would hang her head in shame. It's the Statue of Liberty, not the Statue of Welfare and food stamps. It's the Statue of Liberty, pal. And a lot of people went to Ellis Island. They didn't expect any handouts from the government, and they weren't given any handouts from the government. And they keep quoting what's on the Statute of Liberty. Let me quote Daniel Horowitz over the Conservative Review. So many millions of Americans on welfare, and so much debt accruing every year. Why in the world 
would we invite new people to come to this country and use welfare? Why would we choose those who would use welfare when there are so many in the pool of potential immigrants who will not? These rhetorical questions are so unassailable and so rooted in a principle as old as our founding that proponents of mixing welfare with open borders are now resorting to a new tactic. They're contending that Trump's very modest proposal to enforce just a part of the public charge law is against the poem on the Statute of Liberty. Liberals in the media, like Donnie Lemon, are breathlessly accusing the Trump administration of violating the spirit of the New Colossus, a poem written by Emma Lazarus in 1883, placed on a plaque in the Statute of Liberty 20 years later. In their minds, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free means yearning to get on welfare. First, he says, as I noted with exhaustive research in his book Stolen Sovereignty, in our entire history, from the first colonial era public charge laws in Massachusetts to the laws written by the federal government in 1882, there was an ironclad rule that immigrants should never be a burden on America. In fact, just one year before the publishing of that poem, Congress passed the 1882 Immigration Act. That bill instructed Treasury officials to inspect immigrant ships for public charges. Quote, if on such examination there shall be found among such passengers any convict, lunatic, idiot, or any person unable to take care of himself or herself without becoming a public charge, such person shall not be permitted to land. Now that's Section 2 of the 1882 Immigration Act. They weren't even allowed to step foot in the country. Section 4 of the bill required that the cost of returning public charges be borne by the owners of the vessels in which they came. In 1883, excuse me, in 1885, two years after the poem was published, Congress passed the Contract Labor Law of 1885, which forbade advertising or transporting immigrants to come here for cheap labor. Section 5 of that act explicitly exempted higher skilled professionals from this law. <coughs> Reading is fundamental, Donnie Lemon. In 1891, Congress added to existing categories of inadmissibility those convicted of a misdemeanor involving moral turpitude, in addition to felonies, of course, polygamists, paupers, those suffering from contagious diseases, all excluded. In addition to a full interview with an immigration official, all immigrants had to undergo a medical exam. Anyone found to have a contagious disease was immediately quarantined and then deported. Also, all immigrants who were found to be a public charge up to a year after being legally admitted into the country could also be deported under the law. Oh, my. In 1903, the very year that poem was placed on the Statute of Liberty, Congress added four new categories of inadmissibility. Anarchists, people with ep epilepsy, professional beggars, and those who import prostitutes. Thus, if the left somehow wants to use history to justify its position, the historical record shows that our values and the policies supporting them were completely opposite of what the left claims. And CNN and MSNBC have been doing this all damn day long. All day long. The poem offers the liberty with which even the poor can prosper from their own work, not handouts. So what's with the poem? Why was it prominently displayed on the Statue of Liberty where immigrants came through Ellis Island? The poem, The New Colossus. 
wasn't placed on the statue until 17 years after the statue was built as a tribute to the enlightenment of America's founding. The Colossus of Rhodes was a monument of the Greek sun god Helios. And the poem specifically rejects the old Colossus. Quote, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, unquote. Perhaps nobody explained the true meaning of the new Colossus and how it applied to American immigrants uh, better than others over time. Including our buddy Glenn Beck. But it was never intended to justify welfare. They didn't know what welfare was in the sense that we know today. By all history and law, what the left is doing by marrying mass migration with a mass welfare state that didn't even exist at the time the statue was built or the poem written in the opposite of what the poem calls for. Indeed, the statue was originally referred to as liberty enlightening the world, meaning it was about America enlightening the rest of the world with liberty. Liberty, as understood by the people of that era, never included even the redistribution of wealth among the citizens of the country, much less redistributing it to the citizens of the rest of the world. You know what? I'm amazed that the left hasn't pulled that statue down yet, Mr. Producer. I mean, 1903, we had areas in the country that were segregated. You would think they wouldn't pull her down. And Lady Liberty. What's with the word lady? I thought... On most college campuses, we can't identify by gender. Shouldn't it be person liberty? I think that's another reason to pull it down, don't you? It's not just that our immigrants were different during the Great Wave. It's that the America that molded their characters and experiences was different. It was truly free. A former Democrat senator, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, wrote in 1986... Contrary to the nostalgic revisionism of some of his colleagues regarding the poem on the Statue of Liberty, the immigrants of the Great Wave, he said, were not the wretched refuse of anybody's shores. Moynihan described them in stark contrast to many from today's massive wave as extraordinary, enterprising, self-sufficient folks who knew exactly what they were doing and doing it quite on their own. Thank you very much, quote-unquote. There are still immigrants today who fit that description, but mass chain migration which now benefits mainly countries whose nationals have a high prevalence of welfare usage, mixed with a massive welfare state, is an open invitation to many around the world to join Americans who never get off welfare and experience a very different type of freedom than what enticed the immigrants of the late 19th century. Our goal is to bring in only the freedom and independence-loving type of immigrants. So the poem on the Statue of Liberty is actually more relevant today than ever before. The media are making fun of Ken Cuccinelli, tweaking the poem by saying, give me your tired, your poor, who can stand on their own two feet, and who will not become a public charge. But that's actually the application of the poem. The poem meant that America on its own, and America without welfare at the time, offers the liberty that allows poor people to become prosperous people. Look at how European socialism makes poor of the rich. Well, we make rich of the poor provided that we, ad- uh, we don't adopt European, Europe socialism along Western Europe's current immigration policies. 1880s immigration works when immigrants have a free America to come to. Some people wonder if that America still exists. If you listen to the Democrats, it won't. I'll be right back. Mark in.
you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. By the way, I do think the tariffs are really crippling China. I think it's very, very harmful to China. And so I told you, I'm strongly supportive of that against China. And uh, they're bleeding money now over there. Bernie Sanders had a town hall in New Hampshire yesterday. Now again, notice the media will not call him an anti-Semite or a bigot. No. No. There's a shooting two years ago. The media won't blame Bernie Sanders. The shooting two weeks ago, a week and a half ago in Dayton. He's mentioned again. Elizabeth Warren's mentioned. Of course, they're not to blame. Trump's to blame. But here's Bernie Sanders at a town hall meeting in New Hampshire yesterday. I want you to listen to this guy. This is what I'm talking about, the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party, and I don't care how many Jews are in the House of Representatives or the Senate who are Democrats. They have an obligation to address their own caucuses, but they won't because they're cowards. They put their liberalism first. Cut six, go. All that I have ever said on this issue is that U.S. foreign policy should be even-handed. No, it shouldn't be even-handed. The Palestinian Authority and Hamas are terrorist regimes that subsidize the slaughtering of Jews. They're not democracies. They're mobsters. Why would you have an even-handed policy? This country backs the state of Israel, not the Palestinian Authority, which is the old PLO, and Hamas. Democrats, <coughs> excuse me, Democrats used to understand this. This used to be their position. But old reds, old commies, throwbacks, you know, that's not their view. Go ahead. Even-handed. And that you have to, we respect Israel. Israel has every right in the world to live in peace and security. But so do the Palestinian people. So who's stopping them? Who's stopping them from living in peace and security? Tell me, how many Jews have gone into the areas where the Palestinians control, Palestinian Authority... And murdered their young people or children or blown up their buses or shot up their mosques or their cafes. None. How many tunnels is Israel building into the Gaza Strip to send the IDF and others in there to slaughter innocent people in the Gaza Strip? None. You idiot. You idiot. Go ahead. So do the Palestinian people. 
You're not proudly Jewish. Mark, how can you pass judgment? I can. I smell a rat fink a mile away. How is he proudly Jewish? Can somebody tell me? How is he proudly Jewish? When uh, Jewish cars had their tires slashed, a hundred of them, a hundred, that's a lot, in New Jersey, did Bernie Sanders speak out? No. When Hasidic Jews are assaulted in Brooklyn, like the other day, brutally, does Bernie Sanders speak out? No. Bernie Sanders kisses Al Sharpton's considerable ass. He had no problem with Keith X. That's Keith Ellison being the deputy chair. Of the DNC, in fact, he supported him. He comes to the defense of Omar, but don't worry, he's a Jew. I've seen people like this before. Just look at history. The 1930s. Yeah, that's right, I said it. Go ahead. Right-wing Netanyahu <coughs> government the gov- in Israel. Netanyahu government isn't right-wing. It's conservative. You puke. But anything. Right of Lenin is right-wing to this guy. You coward, you wouldn't come on this program. You wouldn't come on any of my TV programs. You coward. You know, the the Washington Post won't cover me properly. Well, I'll cover you properly. I'll expose you. Go ahead. It's not to be anti-Semitic. And your point is well taken. The United States government gives a whole lot of money to Israel. And I think we can leverage that money to end some of the racism that we have recently seen in Israel. Wow, this is just, uh, this This is a hater. This is a hater. This is a real commie. Red, old red commie. He just is. I don't care what his supposed faith is or his heritage. It doesn't matter. He's a useful idiot. Fortunately, there's more and more people like this. Yes, there are. I know what he's spewing. I know what he's selling. I know history. So the right-wing Israeli government, the Prime Minister's racist, the President of the United States is racist. Everybody's racist but Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, who moved from Brooklyn to the whitest state in the face of America, Vermont, and ran for office there. But he's not a racist. No, 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 no. He's very inclusive. All of his neighbors, you know, all of his neighbors in Vermont, well, they were white, I think. I'll be right back. With the daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickhouseLevin.com, that's BrickhouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. 
You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him, he's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Feelings mutual there, Mr. President. You know, the Genesel summer blowout sale is here, ladies and gentlemen. All prices slashed drastically in August. A $30 instant coupon is applied automatically to your web or phone orders. Now, it's that easy. Just go to Genesel.com or give us a call. 800-SKIN-604. Now, here's Cheryl. From Fort Wayne, Indiana. Wow, the very first time I tried the jawline treatment, I could immediately feel the tightening sensation. I've been using it for a week, and the results are very visible. My jawline looks so much younger. Time to stock up on the best skin care or try the luxury and effectiveness of the Genesel at the lowest prices of the year. And right now, when you order the original Genesel for under-eye bags and puffiness, the jawline treatment is yours absolutely free. And start seeing results in 12 hours, or Genesel immediate effects is also free. So that's very important. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. $30 instant coupon automatically off your order in August. Call 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. I hate to say it, I think I'm coming down with something. I do. I think I'm coming down with something. It's time to get the chills here. Just saying, you're my family. I tell you everything. Well, almost everything. Matt, Cleveland, Ohio, Sirius Satellite. How are you, Matt? Hello, Mr. Levin. Pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Matt. We are uh, traveling around this great nation for a month. I'm here with my 13-year-old son. Um, I'm an American Jew from New Jersey, but we are quite conservative, and I'm proud of it. Wonderful, wonderful. I wanted to talk to you. Uh, we uh, on this trip, we were listening to your book on freedom of the press on audiobook, mm-hmm. and uh, I, we learned about um, Stalin and Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, as you explained before with the Holocaust and Roosevelt, how in the hell was this covered up the way it was? Was this? FDR and just political calculus to finally get us in the war at the right time? No, the cover-up of the Holocaust was because, uh, well, FDR, in my view, uh, had a problem, that uh, he was anti-Semitic. Now, the left Marxist tenure professors will never admit that. But he didn't allow Jewish refugees, real refugees, that were trying to escape the uh, Third Reich into the country. Uh, and um, he, uh, he, he also was very, uh, I should say, pressing the media not to cover the Holocaust. He wanted to control the narrative. He wanted to control what would and would not be talked about, and the media went along with him. In the case of the New York Times, I explained it at some length, which is that the uh, Sulzberger family um, was Jewish really in name only, and they didn't want their newspaper empire to be pigeonholed as a Jewish newspaper. And so they were concerned, believe it or not, that the American people and Gentiles in this country 
would not be sympathetic to the reporting uh, if they were to focus too much on the Holocaust. So they focused almost not at all. Same with the Jewish-owned Washington Post, by the way. That's why when I hear uh, Bernie Sanders say, you know, I'm Jewish and I'm a proud Jew, too. Not really. He's not a proud Jew any more than Sulzberger was. And Sulzberger knew what was going on there. There was enough information getting back to the New York Times. Uh, and he was also trying to get his family out of Germany. He did a grave disservice to the American people, who didn't really know till 1944 the extent of the extermination of the European Jews. 1944. Uh, he was a mouthpiece for Roosevelt. And before that, as you touched on, he, uh, the New York Times was a mouthpiece for Stalin through uh, Durante, Walter Durante. He'd been in uh, Moscow for 12 years. And uh, Stalin was having a problem with the Ukrainians. Notice the Russians always do. And the peasant farmers there, where they were not keen on giving up their property, giving up their crops to the government. And they didn't buy this commune stuff. And so, rather than shoot them one at a time, and they tried by the thousands, what uh, Stalin did is he surrounded the Ukraine, cut it off by land and sea, and starved the people. And in less than 18 months... Some 10 million Ukrainians starved to death in a horrific way. Solzhenitsyn has written about it, and I pointed this out, how at night you could hear some of the Ukrainians trying to get into the gulag to eat anything. There was cannibalism. It was horrific. And the man on the scene for the New York Times, <coughs> excuse me, wouldn't travel to the Ukraine. Others did. For the uh, Manchester Guardian newspaper, in England, a couple of reporters went there and they saw what was taking place and they wrote about it. And the New York Times newsman, correspondent in Moscow, uh, was uh, driven around in black Russian cars, had access to all kinds of wonderful foods, to women. In fact, uh, he impregnated one woman and had a child over there. And he would write these propaganda pieces, news pieces, for the New York Times, which the New York Times would publish. And the management of the New York Times had to know was wrong. They knew what these other reporters were writing. And in fact, what Durante did is he attacked these other reporters who were writing in the British newspapers. And one of those reporters would say, <coughs> excuse me, and I paraphrase, that Durante was one of the greatest liars in world history. And you know what? He got a Pulitzer Prize. And you know what else? The New York Times won't pressure the family to return it. So these are two genocides. Stalin, what he did to the Ukrainians. Hitler, what he did to the Jews. Almost back to back. And the New York Times didn't report the news. Didn't report the facts. In fact, did the opposite in the case of the Ukraine. Reported Russian Stalinist propaganda. The case of the Jews covered it up as much as they possibly could. For as long as they possibly could. And this is the paper we call the paper record. This is the paper we say all the news that's fit to print. I think this is one of the reasons, Chapter 6, why Unfreedom of the Press is a national bestseller and has been for three months. People don't know these things. And there's a lot more in the book as you're listening to the audio driving across the country with your son. There's a lot more in the book that also I haven't even talked about over these months, which really reveal the underbelly of the media in this country. So the president's right. I think we can agree that most of the enemies the president has in the media, in the Democrat Party, academia, Hollywood, are our enemies. They hate us. They despise us. 
because we disagree with them because we voted to put this man in office. <coughs> and I intend to do exactly the same thing again. All right, Matt? Uh, thank you very much. And one last thing I wanted to, to tell you about is we were very fortunate today to be in southern Michigan, and we stopped by Hillsdale College and uh, got a chance to and, and what, sir? We went to Hillsdale College today, yeah. and we got a chance to walk around the campus. And I thank you for promoting them, because I would never have known them if I didn't listen to you. It's, it's the finest college in the country, as far as I'm concerned. All right, Matt, thank you very much. And if you have time, folks, you can visit their Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., on Massachusetts Avenue. It's almost right across from um, the Heritage Foundation. And uh, you go in there... <laughs> Obviously, you have to ask them. You go in, but on public display, as I've told you before, is one of the uh, rarest copies, volumes of the uh, Federalist Papers that uh, Alexandra Hamilton had published at great expense. It was a very difficult task. He had about 500 of them published. He gave 50 of them to uh, Virginia, which was leaning against voting for the Constitution, and he kept over 400 for New York, which was leaning against voting for the Constitution, and they really had to work hard and hustle. And this is one of the finest copies that has survived, and I donated it to uh, Hillsdale College. And you can also look at a letter that was signed by, among others, uh, Dr. Warren, one of the great revolutionaries, but he was killed so early in the revolutionary period. And at such a young age, 36, uh, that people don't know about him. So I spent a lot of time making sure, trying to make sure people know about Dr. Warren. In his day, he was better known than Sam Adams. He was better known than John Hancock. Nobody knew of Thomas Jefferson back then. He was better known than George Washington, because this was before 1776. Breeds Hill, Concord, Lexington, all these things that are not taught anymore, that we should be very, very proud of. Sad, very sad. What a magnificent country this is. All right, let's continue. Mike, Rockville, South Carolina, on Sirius Satellite. Go. Yeah, how you doing today, sir? All right, thank you. Good. Um, my comment was related to the existing background check system that we've had in place for quite some time. Uh, in recent memory, uh, Ohio shooter, El Paso shooter, Gilroy shooter, Las Vegas shooter, and Charleston shooter all passed those background checks. So. Mm-hmm. Perhaps before we start talking about needing more laws, we ought to take a little look at the system we have. I don't disagree, but what are you going to find out from a background check? What they try to find out is if the people have any uh, any public record uh, of uh, criminality, misdemeanors, felonies, uh, any public record they're looking for of any controversies of a significant kind. Uh, background checks can only go so far. They can only That's go true. so far. They can only go so far. People, people it, don't announce, I want a gun to kill people. They just don't do that. No, they don't. The, the real things that we need to be looking at is what has shifted in our society that has caused people to change what Well, you know, the, well, we've talked about this, and, and I, I don't want to go through it again, but, you know, just very, very quickly, what I said is, uh, in many ways, we are unmoored from morality and virtue. We're a moored from our belief system. Uh, anything goes, whether it's sexual, whether it is, uh, whether it is whatever it is. And um, 
we've dumbed down the value of life. We talk about abortion as if it's a choice. We don't talk about the elimination of puppies that way. We have a governor in Virginia who's still in office who talked about post-birth abortion. And only half the country was appalled. The other half is defending it. Well, you didn't hear right. Well, what's wrong? What if it's this? What if it's that? And so we now have an argument where life is a choice. It's not a choice. It's a life. And so when you're having to defend life as life, you're already starting with one foot in the hole. That's the problem. Thank you for your call, my friend. I'll be right back. Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Don't forget, folks, football season's coming. Got these early games, other games, basketball. Don't be left out. Download the podcast information just so you can listen to it. If ever you don't hear the program on the radio, or maybe it's taped delayed or preempted. Go to marklevinshow.com. That's the mothership website, the radio website, marklevin, L-E-V-I-N, show.com. Click on the audio rewind button at the middle of the top of the homepage. That'll take you to the podcast page. It's that simple. Then the next thing you do is you download the platform. You can download Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher. You can download whatever you want. But those are three prime examples. So you'll never miss the show. Let's say you're busy. There's something else you need to do. And we have several million people who are listening to the podcast every month. So just in case, you never know. Hey, Mark's not on. What the hell's going on? Must be preempted. This is how you get around it. Now, an update on Philadelphia. The uh, situation has not changed. Six police officers now have been shot. Um, the shooter's still armed. He's still inside the location. They're trying to talk to him. He's not talking to them. I remember a few hours ago there was a report. There's a couple of police officers in there with other suspects. That has not been updated. I don't want to give you false information. That is all we know. So they're keeping a tight lid on this. They've asked the media... Please don't take any pictures of the building or, or any of the uh, police officers, particularly the uh, tactical units and so forth, that are near that area. And so, thankfully, the media is paying attention to the requests. Kirsten Gillibrand, why is she running for president? Why is this nitwit running for anything? Cut eight, go. 
So I think we should ban assault weapons as well as large magazines. So, so I think we should ban them and large magazines. Now, they have as much authority to ban weapons and large magazines, the feds do, as they have authority to ban Kristen Gillibrand from speaking. I would like to know what is it about the Second Amendment that allows that kind of activity. Ban assault weapons? And again, I'll go back. What the hell is an assault weapon? If you hit over the head with a baseball bat, that's an assault weapon. If you hit in the face with a frying pan, that's an assault weapon. If uh, Fredo Cuomo socks you in the nose, his hand is an assault weapon. That's assault and battery. Go ahead. Part of passing that ban, do a buyback program uh, across the country so that those who own them... I don't want to sell my weapons. Give me your damn buyback program. I don't want to sell my weapons, and I'm not giving them to you. Now, what are you going to do about it? Go ahead. Compensated for their uh, money that they spent, but I think both of those ideas are strong. I think having but uh, mandatory. The mandatory buyback combined, well, you don't want people to retain them because if you make them illegal, um, you don't want to grandfather in all the assault weapons that are all across America. You would like people to sell them back to the government uh, so that you can make sure okay. people who shouldn't have access because to these weapons couldn't have them. Now, the reporter Harlow. I don't know who the hell Harlow is, but she's with CNN today. She's very excited. Okay, got it. But you're going to have to figure out how you're going to get it. How how are you going to get the weapons from these people? No question about civil liberties, the Constitution, not a damn thing. Go ahead. of that is, if you're supportive of a mandatory buyback, then... The, the, the next step is that you then prosecute, criminally prosecute those who don't. So now we out. have the so-called reporter giving her ideas. Now, now, Kristen, you know, you got to you got to really figure this out. So here's what you do. Here's what you do. You have to prosecute people who won't sell their guns back. Put them in jail. Put them in jail. Yeah, put them in jail. Go ahead. Could result in. By the way, time. this idiot Castro, uh, with the events going on in Philadelphia, is saying this is more reason for gun control. This is unbelievable. Kristen Gillibrand attacking quote right wing judges in the NRA. I despise these people. I despise them. I don't like demagogues. <laughs> they hate the cops. Why don't they say that tonight? Why don't they tell us what they really think? The NRA. Gun owners. Assault weapons. They don't even have all the facts. The, the, the shootout, it's, the standoff's not even over. Doesn't matter. This is the nature of tyranny. You're looking at it right in the eye. Or multiple eyes for that matter. Go ahead. Individuals, are you supportive of that? So the point is you don't want people using uh, assault weapons. Um, And so the point is if you are arrested for using an assault weapon, you're going to have an aggravated felony. I mean, the whole point is when you uh, make it a crime to own an assault weapon, then if you are found using it. So it's a crime to own a semi-automatic weapon. 
That's what Kristen Gillibrand wants. And let me tell you something else. In the end, that's what Susan Collins wants too, but she won't tell you that. Liberty Under Attack. Next book should be called Tyranny and Liberty. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, I believe a little later in this hour. We're going to have the great Gordon Chang. Are we not, Mr. Producer? Give us more insight into the China-Hong Kong situation. He's brilliant. Poppy Harlow. I don't know how Poppy Harlow is. Apparently, she's a CNN host. So this discussion with Kirsten Gillibrand continues. I want you to listen to this. Just listen to this. This tells you everything you need to know. Cut nine, And she's a reporter. She's an anchor woman. Cut nine. Go. You talked in the last debate about being, and this struck me watching it, a white woman of privilege. And, and what I think mm-hmm. is not discussed a lot when it comes to abortion is that laws limiting abortion or having one facility in a state like Missouri uh, disproportionately affects the poorest Americans. Now, let's, let's, just, let's just stop there. Unfortunately, not all, but most abortions uh, take place among the poor, among minorities. And just listen to how sick this is. Just step away from modern America and listen to this. You see, the problem is the poor aren't able to abort enough of their babies, ladies and gentlemen. It's unfair. And this is cold. It is incredible the way they talk about this stuff. You know, it kind of limits the uh, the poor people. They only have access to one abortion clinic, and uh, so it disproportionately affects the poorest Americans. Now, in a rational world, that would be a good thing. But not in the world of CNN and the world of the left. Look, this is a right. It's a choice. How many abortions are there a year? Will you Google that, Mr. Producer? Is the same amount as the number of people who are murdered? You won't ever hear anybody talk about abortion control. Certainly not Susan Collins, the people who are now pushing gun control. You'll never hear that. And an abortion is an absolute death warrant to a baby. And you know, the more science we have, they want to talk about climate change, right? The more science we have indicating that these babies can live at an earlier and earlier stage of pregnancy, the more it's ignored. Well, well listen. Forget about the science. We're talking about a right. And this, what is it? Yeah. In 2015, there were 638,000 abortions. 638,000 abortions. Well, do we know if enough poor people had abortions? Because, what's her name? Poppy Harlow was very concerned about this. Very concerned. And... Gillibrand, look, Gillibrand's a white woman. As a matter of fact, she is a transparently white woman. So her white privilege runs deep. And she'll admit it. 
Look, slap me. I'm a white woman. Okay, anyway. So, um, well, she slaps herself, actually. It's so bizarre. Can you understand, says Poppy. I don't know if Poppy is a woman of color. I don't know if she's a transparent, a translucent woman. I don't know anything about Poppy. She's what? Oh, she's white, too. So two white women talking about black people. Do you know what it's like to be a minority, says one white woman to another white woman? Poppy. Names their kid Poppy. No offense. Poppy. Is that a guy's name, Mr. Producer? Like a grandfather's name? Poppy? Not a woman. Anyway. Let's take this one from the top. Go ahead. You talked in the last debate about being, and this struck me watching it, yes, yes. a white woman of privilege. Yes. And, and what I think mm-hmm. is not discussed a lot when it comes to abortion is mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. laws limiting abortion or having one facility in a state like Missouri uh, mm-hmm. disproportionately mm-hmm. affects the poorest Americans because yes, they cannot yes. afford to yeah. travel elsewhere to well, get... Well, then, look, we the, ought to have an abortion office in every CVS. That would fix it, don't you think, Mr. Producer? Maybe at every 7-Eleven? Have a whole assembly line, you know, do a seance, get Henry Ford back, figure out how to have an assembly line, just to make sure, just to make sure everybody's covered equally on their abortion, uh, on their abortions. Sick. But we need gun control, don't you know? Gun control. Background checks, front round checks, red flags, white flags. We need to put people in prison if they don't let us buy their weapons back. Assault weapons, of course. Well, what about assault weapons in an operating room? Just because they're sterile? The hell do you think an abortion is? An abortion ends a life. An abortion ends a human life. That's what it does. And these clowns are talking about post-abortion, post-birth abortions. But they have to mix race into it. And what about access? You know, poor people don't have access. Are you kidding me? Go ahead. Service. Is that yeah. something that we should expect you to talk more about, to, to highlight this weekend? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, absolutely. We need as many aborted poor kids as possible, particularly minorities, you know. We need as many kids aborted in this country as possible. And that is a very progressive thing, abortion. In fact, it's a great thing that Planned Parenthood's doing it because the head of Planned Parenthood who founded Planned Parenthood, Sanger, was a eugenicist. Do you know what that means? Oh, come on. Kill the handicap, kill black people, kill all these babies in the womb in order to have a, uh, a more perfect race. Sound a little Third Reichish to you, ladies and gentlemen? That's the founder of Planned Parenthood, which you and I fund. I'm telling you 500 years from now, People are going to look back at this society and say, what a disgusting group of selfish, preening, precious people. Go ahead. Yeah. So I believe we should repeal the Hyde Amendment. Now, what's the the Hyde Amendment? The Hyde Amendment says, and it was the law for 15 years, it was a compromise that not one federal penny will go towards an abortion because there are people who oppose them, like me. On moral grounds. And they shouldn't be forced to pay for these. It's not good enough. Want abortion? Abortion on demand. And we want you to subsidize it whether you like it or not. 
Whether you think it's life or death, doesn't matter. Pay up. Particularly poor people. We got to make sure there's enough clinics in their uh, neighborhoods. Got to be fair about this abortion thing, you know. 635,000 last year? But you can't talk about it. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not wise to talk about it politically. No, no, no. Go ahead. Makes it really hard for low-income women to have access because you can't use federal dollars to pay for it. Um, that's why we're doing the town hall um, in Missouri. Hello, hello. That's why we have all these front groups paid for by billionaires and millionaires that raise a fortune in money to conduct abortions. So the concern we're not doing enough abortions. Poor people aren't having enough abortions. And you see, this is a priority for these two white women, Poppy and Kirsten. Go ahead. Only have one clinic left, and women across that state are going to have a lot of trouble when they need access to care of getting it in a timely manner. How do you know that? Do we know that for a fact? Has anybody done a study? Can go right across the border into another state? Seriously. Have any idea if that's true? None. But here we have two women who believe there's not enough access to clinics to have abortions. They're not going to talk about whether these clinics are safe. Remember the one in Philadelphia? That wasn't safe. Not going to talk about the moral side of it? No, 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 no. You have enough clinics for these uh, abortions? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, folks, it's no longer shocking at this point, but guess what? Bureaucrats at the Department of Health and Human Services trying to borrow another one of crackpot socialist Bernie Sanders' health care ideas. And I can't see a thing wrong with it, unless, of course, you believe being sick is a good thing. Following Sanders' lead, HHS has proposed a program to allow states to import some prescription drugs from Canada and God knows where else. Now, let's start with the fact that none of these states, let alone Canada or other countries, have any systems in place to determine if the drugs coming into the U.S., what the labels say they are, where they're from, China, India, or who made them. As such, there's zero ability to know if what you're taking is remotely safe. Canadian officials, well, they've been very clear about their safety concerns, saying that counterfeit drugs are already a major global problem that have led to many, many deaths. There's a lot of things that we can do with our healthcare system, but destroying the safety of our prescription drugs is not one of them. Drug importation is dangerous. It's just shocking that leaders of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services would even consider such a harebrained idea, but there they are. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. Gordon Chung is a friend. He wrote a great book called The Coming Collapse of China. And nobody better to talk to now but you, Gordon. How are you? I'm fine, Mark, and thank you so, so much. Well, it's my pleasure. It's a great book. People should get it. All right. Why are we not more vocally? I mean, both parties, uh, students in our country... Uh, uh, public leaders in our country standing with the people of Hong Kong. Have you noticed how quiet it is? It's been very quiet. I think that people don't understand the significance of what's going on. 
you know, China is attacking, of course, freedom and autonomy in Hong Kong, but it's also attacking our government and our form of governance. Uh, it's attacking democracy itself. So there's a common foe, and that means the kids in Hong Kong are the front line of freedom, not just for the people in Hong Kong, but for us as well. And I think that if we understood the significance and the linkages, there would be much more concern in our country for what's going on in that territory. But I watch these cable shows, among other shows, and they kind of do hit-and-run episodes on it. Look at all the Chinese, uh, you know, troop trucks gathering. Okay, let's move on. Trump's a racist. You know, it's like uh, a no serious, in-depth, substantive reporting taking place. Yeah. Well, you know, right now, it's hard for, I think, for American audiences to understand it because there's a lot of storylines going on in Hong Kong right now. But the most important is that the kids and about three-quarters of the population, maybe more, believe that this is the last stand for autonomy. This is their last stand against China. And we Americans have to understand that our society is being maliciously attacked by the Chinese, you know, especially our economy, the Chinese theft of U.S. intellectual property, all the rest of it. So we got to understand that this is uh, Beijing, which is going after all of us. Maybe you've said this as well. Neil Ferguson, a couple of weeks ago, said on my Fox show, he said, look, this, we're in Cold War number two. And the Chinese know it, but unfortunately, a lot of Americans don't. But he said Donald Trump clearly does. What's your take on that? Oh, absolutely. You know, you hear a lot of people, you know, talking about cable news or whatever, who say, well, this is Trump's um, trade war. Well, that can't be further from the truth, because the Chinese have been waging economic war against the United States since at least the early 1990s. And what they have been doing is purposefully undermining American society and our economy. And what President Trump is doing, and whether you like tariffs or not, or whether whatever you feel, he is actually the first American president to launch a defense, to mount a defense against what Beijing is doing. It doesn't look pretty, but we should support him because this is a common enemy for all of us, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, whatever. China is out to get us. Well, I strongly support tariffs against China for national security reasons. I and it's. Too. And as big as their economy is, it's not as big as our economy. And while it may you know, hurt certain sectors in our economy, apparently it's really hurting them right now. What do you know about that? Yeah, if you look at um, the numbers that came out of the Chinese economy for June and July, it points to China growing not at the 6.3% pace that they claimed for the first half of this year, but maybe like 1%, maybe zero. What is really telling, Mark, is that imports, which is a sign of domestic demand, have been, na- have been down for three or four months right now. Also, bellwether car sales have been off for 13 consecutive months. So we're seeing a lot of signs, a lot of underlying numbers that don't point to a vibrant economy there. And, and it's, it's not only President Trump's tariffs. It's also the problems that are caused by Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, who has this anti-reform view of a state economy. That is really what's killing China. But President Trump's tariffs are adding on to that, and at a very bad time for Xi Jinping. The problem is a guy like Xi, who's murdered his way to the top, has a high tolerance for the pain of his people, if you know what I mean, uh, in order to hold on to power. So I think this guy's capable of anything, don't you? Yes, and I think that when you start to look at a couple things, first of all, he, took, he got in power, there was a collective system, he took power from everybody else, which means he's all-powerful, but it's 
all accountable. So everything that's going wrong for China is laid at his doorstep. Also, he's deinstitutionalized the Communist Party, which means there are no longer any rules to protect him, because there was all sorts of rules on succession that sort of mitigated inter-party conflicts. All those are gone. So Xi Jinping knows that if he makes a mistake, he could lose everything, not just his position at the top of the Communist Party in China, but he could lose his freedom, his assets, even his life, because we could go back to a political system that was familiar to Mao Zedong, who founded the People's Republic 70 years ago. Yeah, and he was killing his, uh, his lieutenants left and right. Well, well, Mao certainly did. Um, Xi Jinping has put like a million or so people in jail, um, and a few of them have been executed, not that many. But there are a lot of people who are stakeholders in the Chinese political system who have been severely disadvantaged by C, and they're out to get him. So when he makes an obvious mistake, they're going to pounce. That means Xi Jinping, as you point out, Mark, has a very low threshold for risk. That means he's going to lash out. He's going to do something that will take us completely by surprise. We've got to be prepared. Well, how do we prepare? What do you think he's going to do in Hong Kong? It looks like he's going to invade. Yeah, he could very well do that. I, I think that he knows that if he puts the People's Armed Police and the People's Liberation Army on the streets in Hong Kong, there'll be open warfare, and not all of the dead are going to be Hong Kong people. Um, I actually think he will do that, but it's going to be sometime down the road, probably after um, October 1st of this year, which is the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic. They don't want a storm before that. But after then, they could do something really awful. And, and that's why, uh, you know, it's, it's important for us to speak very clearly about Hong Kong right now. And I hope the President of the United States will do that. Are we speaking clearly? Congress, the administration, um, you know, the President had a pretty, couple of good tweets out a few hours ago. But what do you think? Yeah, we have some people in Congress, um, um, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, who have issued statements on this. And that's a good start. But we need to speak with one voice. Um, I know President Trump has asked for a personal meeting with Xi Jinping to talk about Hong Kong. Uh, our president did that just a few hours ago on Twitter. That might be one way to solve it. But we also need to have some clear declarations that uh, Hong Kong is something that we're concerned about because it affects us as well as the people who live there. Do you have a few minutes to? Ha I don't know if you do to hang up to hang on after the break here. I would love to, Mark. All right, Gordon, you're a terrific guy, Gordon Chang. The coming collapse of China is his book. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence, but. You can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. Few things in life can change your entire outlook on the day. A call from your boss asking you to work the weekend, early construction right outside your bedroom window in the morning you wanted to sleep in. Now that'll ruin your day. How about when your check engine light comes on? Now that usually means thousands of dollars in repairs, and that's why I have CarShield, specifically covering our 2010 Camaro. It's a great car. CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's up to you. They also provide 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. 
Car show administrators have paid out close to $2 billion in claims. They are ready to help you. They're sitting there poised. Don't let your check engine light change your life. Folks, get covered by the best, by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection like we did. Call 800-CAR-6000, 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN, you'll get 10% off. Or go online to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, get 10% off. That's carshield.com, code LEVIN, or 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN, 10% off either way. A deductible may apply. We're back with Gordon Chang, his book, The Coming Collapse of China. Is there a coming collapse of China? They look pretty strong, despite what's going on economically. Yeah, they do. Um, but also, the Soviet Union, which was strong, and really which fooled the CIA for a number of years. The problem now for Xi Jinping is that he knows that many Chinese regimes have failed from the outside in. You've got problems in Hong Kong. It's sitting on the edge of Chinese soil. And what could happen is there could be contagion, where people in the mainland itself have actually become inspired by what the people in Hong Kong are doing. Hasn't happened yet, Mark, but it could happen. And that's why I think Xi Jinping is especially concerned about Hong Kong. Not, it, it, Hong Kong's important in and of itself, but he's also concerned about what might happen inside China because of Hong Kong. And the American people should understand, right, that, uh, what is it now, 22 years ago... The- Thatcher cut a deal with China that basically they leave Hong Kong, its government, its economic system alone. And China has broken that deal, haven't they? Well, they certainly have. That deal was memorialized and actually in a treaty, the 1984 Sino-British Joint Declaration, where Beijing promised one country, two systems, or autonomy for 50 years. But, you know, China's communists, and, and this is true of communists anywhere, just cannot leave things alone. And that's why you have the situation in Hong Kong. Sounds like liberals, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, this whole notion that you've got to run somebody else's life. And, Mm -hmm. And that has caused the problems in Hong Kong. There would be no problems today, Mark, if Beijing just sort of let Hong Kong go on its own. But they couldn't do it. That's just the nature of that type of regime. But the people see what's going on, this creeping fascism, where they want to drag people out of Hong Kong and try them in China where they have drip by drip and uh, trying to uh, control their economy, trying to control their government from the mainland. Um, Hong Kong is not an internal matter for China, in my opinion. Do you do you think so? Oh, it's certainly not internal. I mean, from a technical point of view, there's this treaty um, that with Britain, and a number of countries have endorsed that treaty, including Canada. This is an international matter. Because we have a lot of people in Hong Kong, we've got a lot of businesses, we have a big stake in there, and as I mentioned, that is the front line of freedom. So our interests are are very much involved there. As uh, Senator McCain once said, you know, or wrote, our, our our interests are our values and our values are our interests. And whatever one thinks of McCain, he certainly was right when he said that. You know, uh... I'm not saying there's a lot we can do militarily. There's a lot we can do economically, and the president's doing it uh, with China. Also, as we said, just to recap, the president tweeted earlier, and he said, look, I'm open to a private meeting with Xi. I think that's a positive step, and uh, I don't think Xi will take him up on it. Do you? I actually don't think so, because I don't think the Chinese right now are in a mood to talk to the United States or anybody else in a spirit of compromise. Xi Jinping right now, um, 
he's got all the incentives to stay the course, which is for him a really hard-line position, and you know, to actually make concessions on Hong Kong. That would be something that people in the mainland would see, and they would then say, well, you know, I've got my own grievances. So um, that could be the contagion that Xi Jinping is worried about. So I think he's going to sort of cape that line, which is really just very bad for China and very bad for the people of Hong Kong. Do you think the long knives are out for him yet? Oh, absolutely. Um, what makes you think that? Uh, first of all, um, he's disadvantaged a lot of people in the Chinese political system. Right now, um, the Chinese leaders are at Beidaha, which is a seaside resort near Beijing. Almost every August, senior Chinese leaders, including former Chinese leaders, get together for about two weeks and talk about what's going on. Jiang Zemin, a former leader, has his, his group in the Communist Party has been severely crippled by Xi Jinping. And, you know, there's a lot of indications that there are unhappiness inside there from people who report on the politics of Beijing day to day. We haven't seen too many symptoms of it yet, but everything we know about Chinese politics points to severe distress because the regime there is doing things which don't make sense, Mark. And when that occurs, you may not know exactly what's wrong, but you know something is wrong. You know, Xi might be just moving too fast, right? If he yes. had slowed down and wait for a Democrat administration, he'd get a lot of what he wants. Yes, well, you know, in general, you know, you're, you put your finger on it. That, you know, if China had just sort of let things go, you know, let um, the trends continue, you know, we would have sort of acceded to China because there were a lot of elites in our country who were declinists, who were willing to sort of give the Chinese what they want. Xi Jinping has made it impossible to do that. So he's changed the political conversation in our country about China. And now you've got Trump actually taking some really stern measures to protect ourselves. And the conversation about China has completely changed. If Xi Jinping had just left things alone, you know, we would have sort of just accepted a status quo that's unfavorable. But fortunately, we've got a president right now who is defending American interests across the board against Chinese attacks which are across the board. Last question. What does China do about this, uh, this tariff and, uh, and trade situation? It seems to me Trump's really put them in a box. Yeah, I don't think there are any good options for Xi Jinping right now because we've got all the metrics in terms of being a much more powerful country than China. The only thing people didn't know about was political will. And it seems, you know, President Trump, especially with um, this last round of tariffs, has said to the Chinese, I've got more political will than you do. I've got a stronger country than you do. I'm going to win. And that means China does not have any options at this point. Except wait. And that may not be an option. It just may be a reality, right? It's a reality for them. They, their political system is frozen, which means they can't come to terms with Trump, even if they wanted to. But Xi Jinping doesn't want to because his motivations are not to compromise. Because if he compromises, he could lose everything. All right, now my really last question. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this. I'm sure others have. I just haven't heard them talk about it much. You know, my attitude is, uh, with respect to North Korea and what China's doing over there, let's put the 100 nuclear warheads back in South Korea if they'll take them. Let's also warn the Chinese and the North Koreans that we're going to put missiles in Japan if they'll have them. You know, two can play this game. And we used to have missiles in South Korea, and the, and, the, and the deal was that North Korea wouldn't develop missiles. Well, they have developed missiles. Yeah, 
And, and there are a number of uh, foreign policy analysts who say exactly that, that what we should do is match China's proliferation, because China's been proliferating nuclear weapons technology and ballistic missile technology to the North Koreans. So people say, well, why don't we do the same thing? Um, especially the Japanese would want them, and Taiwan would want them as well. Mm-hmm. That would stop China in its tracks, actually. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I've said that, too. In other words, Taiwan is the holy grail for them, right? Yeah, it is. And by the way, with these, with what um, Beijing is doing in Hong Kong, it's showing people in Taiwan that the last thing that they want is to have any sort of political accommodation with Beijing. That's a good point. The problem is our reaction, depending on what happens, excuse me, is also going to tell China how they can deal with Taiwan. So we have to be very careful. Well, we have to be very careful, and we can't do with Taiwan what we did with South Korea. Dean Acheson, during the Truman administration, drew the American defense mm-hmm. perimeter, which did not include South Korea. That convinced Kim Il-sung, the North Korean leader, who then convinced Stalin and Mao Zedong that he could invade and that the Americans would not resist. Well, we did resist. Um, 36,000 American lives later did not need to be lost in a war that did not need to occur because the Secretary of State made a mistake, drew South Korea outside the defense perimeter. I hope we do not do the same thing with Taiwan. All right, Gordon Chang, we much appreciate it, my friend. You take care of yourself, and my best to your beautiful wife. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, take care. He's a national treasure, too. George, Charleston, South Carolina, the great WTMA. Go. How you doing, Mark? All right, buddy. Mark Levin, Timidator, my newest best hero. Nam Aravet, you have taught me so much in the last few months. Thank you. You said to shut that TV off and quit listening to them clowns, and that's exactly what I've done. Good. Good. Especially on Sundays, these people are nuts. Yeah, they're insane. Uh, A friend of mine came by with your Unfreedom of the Press book, and I was allowed to keep it and read it. And you, I can't believe how much you've taught me, big guy. You are you are a national treasure, George. You're very very kind. I'm going to send you a signed copy so you can give that copy back to your friend. And I want to thank you, George. Oh man, I appreciate that, Mark. My pleasure, and God bless you. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. If you're like me, when I hear Bernie Sanders, I'm tempted to throw the TV out the window. Not only can that get expensive, it's also dangerous, and not just to anyone outside your house, may I say. It's dangerous because more and more politicians are claiming socialism and the prescription for all ills. When it comes to Medicare prescription drugs, they feel the burn to abandon the market forces that have made Medicare coverage so popular. Some in Congress favor socialist policies that would harm both innovation and our access to life-saving treatments. America leads the way in medical innovation, offering hope that breakthroughs for cancer and other horrific diseases are over the horizon. Protect American innovation. That's the only way out. Tell the Senate to stand strong against price controls and for free market competition. Learn more at freemarketmedicare.org. Freemarketmedicare.org. Paid for by Americans for Tax Reform. I want to thank uh, over at the uh, Federalist here. Let me get the name. 
Uh, Joshua Lawson, a graduate student, Van Andel School of Statesmanship at the Hillsdale College. I want to thank him for putting out a piece today, Eight Back-to-School Books to Protect Students Against Leftist Brainwashing. You've got Paul, the great Paul Johnson historian, The History of the American People. Great book. Vindicating the Founders by Tom West. Great book. You've got The Twelve Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Great book. The Right Side of History, our buddy Ben Shapiro. Great book. Free to Choose. Now that's a classic. Milton Friedman, unbelievable book. The Thomas Saul Reader, there again, great book. And The New Road to Serfdom, Daniel Hannon. But there's an eighth book, Liberty and Tyranny, he writes. He says, those who only know Mark Levin, <coughs> sorry, for his radio program, or his Sunday night show on Fox, are missing out on one of conservatism's best writers. Levin's books offer detailed, fleshed-out renderings of the arguments he makes on his shows. They're punchy, witty, and easily digestible. His books on the Supreme Court and how to restore liberty to our republic are both excellent. His best book, he says, is Liberty and Tyranny Still, which sold more than 1.5 million copies. Topped the New York Times bestseller list for three months. That book was number one for three months in a row. 14 weeks total. Amazon's number two best-selling book of the year. Levin's manifesto spells out what it means to be a conservative in an age of rising statism and socialism. In Liberty and Tyranny, Levin discusses the virtues of faith, the founding fathers, the free market, and the Constitution, all while landing devastating body blows to the threadbare arguments of the left. It's a great book for anyone seeking to understand conservative ideology while loading up on rebuttals to modern statists. I feel that way about Unfreedom of the Press. Unfreedom of the Press is my now my second most successful book. It's my eighth book. Just behind Liberty and Tyranny. What's amazing about Unfreedom of the Press, it just keeps chugging along. We got no support from some of the biggest talk show hosts in the country. No support from some of the biggest TV hosts in the country. But it just keeps plodding along because of you. Word of mouth. You hear people calling from all over the country. People listening to the audio as they drive across the country. The gentleman from South Carolina, you just heard him. Another gentleman called, he's from Cleveland, Ohio, all across America. This is a unifying mission we have here. A unifying mission to tell the truth, to get our newsrooms back. And people have written me and they've told me that never before do they look at a news show the same way. Never before do they listen to a news show the same way. It's like getting the code and being able to unravel it. That's why 2,200 comments. Enormous. 2,200 comments in three months. Five-star rating. Five stars straight through. Even though the left goes in there and you keep popping one stars up, there's too many of you to allow that to, to happen. You've heard me talk about this book. You've heard me promote what's in the book. You've heard me read from the book, but I've only touched the tip of the iceberg here. And half a million of you have responded. But eight million of you haven't. So I want to strongly encourage you to participate in what we're trying to do here. Now, one of the things about Amazon is if you drop off the top 100 sales list, the discount is reduced. 
Now I see we're at number 96. That's pretty damn good after five months of sales on Amazon. But if you want to get your copy, excuse me, at 40% off. You want to get your copy at 40% off. You got to act now before it drops under, under 100. And Christmas and Hanukkah, Thanksgiving, be thinking about all those things. But more than that, think about the mission. You can hear the way I sound. I expect to be back here tomorrow. That's my absolute intention, and I'm going to do everything I can to be here. Um, <clears throat> and feel a little bit under the weather, but, you know, I'm not going to war. I'm not breaking rocks. I'm not a plumber, not an electrician. They do hard work. Not a bricklayer, not a construction worker, not a truck driver. They do hard work. Just me, behind a microphone. So it's my intention to be here. Let's continue. Let's go to Kathleen, Bronxville, New York. Um, How are you? Hi. WABC. Thank Um, you. The whole family along the Liberal East Coast, where all your fans read all your books. And I want to thank you for all you do to educate the American public. You talked at the, uh, a while ago about the, uh, the laws. I want to confirm what you said about the immigration laws. One My minute. mother came to New York as an immigrant in 1927. Mm-hmm. She went to work as a live-in maid for a wealthy banking family, and she saved the money to bring her 52-year-old widowed mother and two young sisters to New York. When they arrived, they, she had an apartment. She and her sister waiting for them furnished. They were turned down at Ellis Island. And the reason they were turned down, even though my my grandmother was a professional... Five teacher, seconds. Turned down because my mother didn't have enough savings. All right, my friend. Very important. This happened to a lot of people. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel on the Philadelphia Police Force. God bless you. Be careful out there. You got a piece of you-know-what that's shooting at you, obviously. I'll see you tomorrow, America. God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.